Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. Man, what a privilege to be able to preach in a place where there is such a, a spirit of worship and a love for the name of Jesus. I love the worship. Love it. Love to come into His presence, and I equally love the Word. What an opportunity we have today uh, to dig into the truth of the Word of God. Let me invite you, if you've got a copy of it, open up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8 is where we'll begin today. And we're going to finish up our little series today that we started the first of the year called How Is Your Love Life? Uh, how's your love life? How are you at agape? How are you doing? And next week, I want you to know that we'll start into a new series. You won't want to mess it in line with our celebration of the of the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ over the grave, death, and hell on our behalf. And we're going to talk about, above all, from the book of Colossians, about the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ. Man, it says that we are complete in Him. He is the head of not some, but all principalities and all powers. In Him dwelleth the fullness, the Word says, of the Godhead bodily. And we're going to look at our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ for a few weeks that Easter time. Today, we're looking at one of the most elegant passages. One writer said it was the greatest, most impacting, the deepest thing that the Apostle Paul ever penned under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And I'd be hard-pressed to find anything that he wrote, or that anybody ever wrote, that would be any greater than this little passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that we've been looking at. Man, it exhorts us to love here with the love of God. Not a love that the world's familiar with, and not a love that we've ever known before but a different kind of love, a love that originates from a different place, a love that comes from our Heavenly Father, and He exhorts us to adopt this lifestyle, to live this way, to allow the love of God to define us and to motivate us. We've seen love's excellence. He says that there is no better way to do it than love. If you want to know the best way to live the Christian life, the best way to serve the Lord, the most excellent way is love. He says it's better by far than any other way that you might choose. If you're choosing and looking for a way to live, he says choose the agape, the love of God. We saw love's essentiality that we can't do anything without love. Anything we attempt outside of the boundaries of love is going to really yield us absolutely no gain at all. He says over and over and over, if I do it outside of love, it profits me nothing. It makes me nothing. Man, it'll yield no results at all. Zero. Not some or a little, but absolutely. Absolutely zero results outside of love. It's absolutely essential. It talks about love's essence. Man, it tells us what love is. If we're exhorted to adopt this excellent way and we know we must have it, he was careful to tell us what it looks like, how patient it is, how kind it is, how it's never arrogant or rude. And, and he concludes his statements in verse 8a by saying that love really never, ever fails. And I want to bridge on that statement that we looked a little bit at last week. And, and we're going to finish up our thoughts today by, by considering love's endurance. And now endurance, isn't it a highly desirable and, and much sought after quality today? Don't we look for endurance in things? Aren't we proud when we have things that, that last? Don't we desire and, and highly value these kind of things? Men, we brag on the mileage that's on our cars. 
Sometimes we brag on the low miles, but brother, I passed that a long time ago. I adopted bragging on the high miles. I, I don't think I have an automobile under 100,000 miles, and most of them are right close to 200,000. Every time I drive my van, I look at it and say, wow, I'm about to pass over 200,000 miles. I'm at 196, 897, and she's still running, praise be unto God. I, I tell you, we prize these things. We, we follow the mileage on our cars. We celebrate marriage milestones. My wife and I have been celebrating celebrating our marriage for 25 years. What a milestone. We celebrate those things. We prize the long life. I have a grandmother. I tell everybody, she's 99 years old. If she makes it uh, just a few more months, which she intends to, she'll be 100 years old. And what a, what a celebration. She told me the other day, son, go ahead and start planning my 100th birthday celebration. We honor years of service when somebody's been at work 30, 35, 40 years. Man, we say that's a, that's a great thing to hold that job. We prize things that last a long, th a long time. Now, being able to do something once is one thing. But being able to do it over and over again, that's entirely another. Man, we had an opportunity to go sledding this week. I hope that you took some time to play in the snow uh, this week when it came. Uh, we have a big old hill that we go over to and sled. And I can remember as a little boy, I'd stay on that same hill all day long sledding. I mean, from the moment I could get the, the, the bread bags on my feet. How many of y'all ever did? Hey, we put bread bags on our feet and on our hands before we put our gloves on. We didn't have all the North Face equipment back in those days. We had to, we had to go with what we had, man, to try to stay dry out there. And I'd walk up and down that hill all day long, just relish it. We'd stay out there till dark came and Mama ran us in the house. And, and man, we went out there the other day. I walked up one time, slid down one time, looked back up and thought, Wow, that was fun. I'm going to get a cream horn. How I many y'all? Hey, hey, that's what I thought. One time was enough for me, beloved. It was enough. Man, we measure endurance over time, and time is the ultimate test, isn't it? Time is the ultimate test. And what we're looking for is something that will, will meet that challenge and endure over a long time. Don't we say, hey, hang in there, man. Hang on. Don't give up. Don't we say things like the steady horse. That's the one that wins the race. That one that endures and that keeps it up over time. My granddaddy used to tell me this all the time. Son, work a little smarter and not so much harder and you'll be able to do it over a long time and accomplish a whole lot more. We say things like good thing come to those who wait and we say, wow, it stood the test of time, or time will tell. Let me tell you something today in the house of the Lord that will endure throughout all eternity. It's the love of an almighty God. You want to know something that has ultimate enduring power, don't look any further than the love of an almighty God. Paul makes four statements here in these little verses. Four things that he tells us about this endurance that love ha has. First of all, he gave us a piece of information in verse 8a. He says that love never fails, telling us that it's an eternal concept. We looked at that last week. Not temporal, it'll outlast everything. I challenged you with this thought. If you want to handle something of eternity, something that'll last forever, something that'll endure forever, then just begin to love with the love of an almighty God. And you're touching something of eternity when you begin to do that. He says, man, what a piece of information. It'll never be short. It'll never be set aside. It'll never be stopped. Three thoughts today that I want to give you in the time I have centered around this enduring eternal love. I want you to read the text with me again, if you will. 
in, in uh, chapter 13, verses 8 through 13. And don't swallow your tongue when I do this right here because I've got to see this morning. It says that love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall, what's that word? Cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part right now, and we prophesy in part. Look at verse 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, when I matured, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass, or we look in a mirror, and we see darkly. But what does the Word say then? Face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. Verse 13, what a closing statement. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, or love, these three. And read these last few words with me out loud. But the greatest of these is love. Man, we look at love's endurance today. Paul gives us a word of information, yes, telling us that it will never fail. But he also gives us a word of illumination. Paul, in verses 8 through 10, kind of turns a light switch on for the Corinthian church. He says, let me illuminate your understanding. Let me shed some light on what's really going on in your life and, and, and how you worship. He begins to illuminate it for him. And I'm here to tell you that to turn the light switch on, man, that's always a good idea, isn't it? I, I fancy sometimes that I know my house so well that I can function in the dark. How many of y'all? Hey, I do that. I walk around in the dark sometimes. I fancy that I can. I know where everything is, and I know what's going on, and I, I can get a place really without a light. As long as I can see any at all, I can make my way around, it, it, so to speak. Man, last night I was watching a movie with my oldest daughter, uh, Godzilla. I love those old things, man. A, a new take on an old movie. I can remember watching King Kong versus Godzilla and all those things. When I was growing up, we were watching the new, uh, the new iteration of Godzilla. And it, it stayed on a little later than I'm accustomed to staying up. But uh, her being the age she is, it didn't bother her at all. Well, when it was over, I, I quickly uh, started cutting lights out and sent her upstairs and said, Baby, I'm heading to bed. Now, my dear wife did not uh, care to stay up uh, that late and watch Godzilla with us. Maybe something else, but not Godzilla, really. So she headed to, headed to bed. I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to go through here and, and disturb her slumber. I, I love her. I, I'm just going to make my way into the bedroom here in the dark. I, I've done it a thousand times. I know where everything is. So I'm easing into the bed, easing around the other side, and man, I, I run into something. I don't know what it was at the time. I ran into it, blam, fell against the wall, on the floor, all kind of noise. I heard my wife say, what in the world are you doing? I'd run into a little triangular clothes hanger, brother. I was swallowed up in a sea of sports bras and blue jeans right there in the bedroom, brother. And when you live with girls, you understand what I'm talking about. I mean, I got myself up. I, I thought, you know it might have been a good idea just to went ahead and cut the light on. I think I would have been a whole lot better off. And it's a good thing in your life sometimes just to shed some light on what you think you already know so well that you don't need any more understanding on. 
And Paul says, I know you think you know what you're doing, and you know what's spiritual, and you know what's right, and you know what's important, but let me shed a little light on the way you're thinking and on the way you're living. Look what he says to them. He says, man, prophecy, doesn't he? He says, prophecy, that's going to go away. It's going to vanish. Tongues, those are going to cease someday. That need you have for knowledge, man, it's going to pass away. But look at this. In contrast, the nature of love is absolutely eternal. There's one phrase and one verse in here that, that troubles people, and there's much debate about what it is and, and when it'll come. It says this, when that which is perfect has come, then, then the imperfect's going to pass away, and it's going to be done away with. And man, there are people who are much smarter than me who have opinions on this thing, and I have read some of them. There, there are at least three real popular suggestions that I see out there. One is that when the Holy Spirit comes, well, that which is perfect, he means about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, I have have only one issue with that. At this point in time, the Holy Ghost had already come, beloved. He was already there, so to look ahead at a time for a coming of the Holy Spirit in a more perfect way is a little difficult for my fair view mind to understand. It seems to me that when He came, He came. How many of y'all are glad that the Holy Spirit fell on Him in the upper room, and then that same Holy Ghost is available to us right here in this place, in this moment, in our lives right now. So I don't think that could be it at all. Some people argue this. And, and man, there's room for this. I'm not saying they're right or wrong. I'm just throwing these out here for you. Some argue the canon of the New Testament. Well, when the New Testament came together, we didn't have any need for spiritual gifts anymore. We don't have any more need for that. Why? We had the New Testament. I'm not down in the New Testament. I love the Word of God. I stand on it. It's infallible. It's complete. It's inerrant. It's our guide. It's everything we have. It's the standard. It's sufficient for every area of our life. But I just don't think that that's what he's talking about here. Why? Because the reality is, I have the Word of the Lord, and I have the Holy Spirit, and is there anybody in here who understands everything about the kingdom of God as a result of that? No, my experience is that it just hasn't come in my life, and I've never met a human being yet on this planet who understands everything, and who sees everything clearly, and has no need for any understanding to be sown into their life anymore. The third one would be this, when He appears. When we stand in His presence, when this old temporal age has passed away, and love incarnate ushers in a brand new age. And to me, that makes the most sense in this context. Later on, he says, we see now through a glass darkly, but then how will we see? What does he say? We'll see face to face. And it makes the most sense to me in this context right here, which is this, the enduring eternal nature of the love of God. Man, don't debate about these things. Just remember that ultimately what Paul is arguing is this, that love will endure far more than any prophetic gift, any ecstatic or revelatory gift, or any word of new knowledge. For one day all those things will be obsolete, beloved. Why? Because we'll be standing in the presence of perfection itself and we'll have no need for those things anymore. Here's the way of application. What do you deem to be the best, the most spiritual, the most important, the most impressive things in your spiritual life. What are they today? 
When you look in the lives of other people, what are the things? When you look, you're impressed by them and you say, wow, they're able to do this. Or wow, they have that spiritual gift. Or wow, man, what a thing God has enabled them to do on this planet. What are the things that when you look in your own life, you prize the most and you say, wow, I'm glad I've got this. Or wow, I'm glad God's given me this ministry. Or wow, I'm glad God's given me this insight. What are those things? Paul's saying, be careful to look at them and understand their importance. But understand that all those things that you prize will never last forever. The only thing that will is the agape love of an almighty God. He's arguing one thing and one thing only, that love will outlast it all, beloved. Love will outlast it all. Corinthian church, I know you think you got it. I know you think you're operating in the spiritual gifts. I know you think you're seeing the power of God, and somehow you've got a monopoly on all these things. But let me tell you, love will outlast all those things that you think are so prized and so high and are so important, and don't ever forget it. Man, what a light switch. He flips it on. You want to know what's most important? It's love. I I would say this. If it doesn't have anything to do with love, it'll not endure forever. But it'll fade away. It'll fail the test of time. Love will endure forever. Even when all those things you prize are gone and forgotten. An illuminating word for sure. He also gives us a a word of illustration. Look at verse 11 with me. He says this. Now listen, when I was a child, he says to the church and to us today. I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I matured... I put away childish things. Paul reaches in and pulls an illustration out about a child growing into a a man, a boy growing into a man. And he says with the passage of time, he's saying this, our speech, our thinking, didn't he say that? Our understanding ought to change. It ought to mature. It ought to get better. He says some things will inevitably become obsolete. They'll become unnecessary and ultimately juvenile. I I know I can hear my mama saying to me over and over, Son, would you just grow up? Would you just grow up? And what Paul's saying to this church, Look, just grow up, would you? Would you just grow up? Man, would you just put away all those old childish things? What a backhanded, if you will, innuendo to these Christians. He's saying, guys, your behavior and and your understanding, that that you believe is so mature and so spiritual is actually anything but. It proves and displays and reveals your immaturity. He's saying you're acting like a bunch of kids over there. And I wish you'd just grow up. Now, I thought about that. What, What makes us mature? What makes us spiritually mature? Paul says one day, one day, church, you'll grow up and learn what the key to spiritual maturity is, and it's love in the physical realm. What makes us mature? I could have said, how do you, I almost said, I'm going to give you a list of ways you know you're old. I mean, I bet I didn't, I didn't really feel comfortable with that. So let's rephrase it. Here's a list of ways you know you are mature in the physical sense. I put this down. I had a man tell me this one time. He said, my wife told me she knew I was maturing because there was more hair growing out of my ears than there was from my head. I mean, hey, I I like that pretty well. He said, you know you're mature. You know you're mature when your little black book contains only names ending in MD. I mean, hey, I like that. You know you're getting mature. You know you're getting mature when you get winded playing chess. I mean, hey, when that's a physical stress to you, you know you're getting mature. 
mature. You know you're getting mature when you finally reach the top of the ladder only to find that it's leaning against the wrong wall. I mean, hey, I like that pretty well. You know you're getting mature when you know all the answers, but nobody bothers to ask you the questions. You know you're getting mature when you look forward to a dull evening. You know you're getting mature when you walk with your head held high and you're just trying to get used to your trifocals. How many of y'all hear that? That's all you're doing. You know you're getting mature when your favorite part of the newspaper, and I do this in Cracker Barrel, is 25 years ago today. You know you're getting mature when you sit in a rocking chair and you just can't get it going. You know you're mature when you burn the midnight oil after 9 p.m. You know you're mature when your back goes out more than you do. I like that. I thought that was pretty good. You know you're mature when a fortune teller offers to read your face. Think about that a little bit. The lines in your face. You know you're mature when you sink your teeth into a stake and they stay there. I mean, hey, I like that pretty good. I love this one, though. This is my favorite. You know you're mature when your knees buckle, but your belt won't. I mean, hey, I like that. That's pretty good. You know you're mature. Well, in the spiritual realm, I don't think in the physical realm anybody needs to help me understand. I'm getting old. I see it on every hand's turn in the spiritual realm. What is it? What's, what's the hallmark? What's the one indicator you look for that you're maturing spiritually? Paul says love. It's not spiritual giftedness. It's not that you've honed your talents. It's not that your ministry's growing. It's not that your knowledge is increasing. None of those things, he says, matter. The one thing you need to look at in your life, if you want to know if you're spiritually maturing today, is am I loving more today than I did yesterday? Am I loving people more deeply, with more abandon, with less judgment today than I was yesterday? I've never encountered a person that I would call spiritually mature in my eye. They didn't have the spirit of the agape love of Jesus Christ driving everything that they were and everything that they were undertaking. You want to know how we can know we're maturing as a church? Are we loving? Are we loving more? Not is the choir better? Or thank God the pastor's getting a little better in the pulpit. Or man, our ministries are growing. It's not going to be the mark of maturity for this church. The mark of it's going to be is are we loving more are we loving the lord more are we loving one another more and are we loving the lost in our community and around the world with a deeper concern and a greater abandon a word of illustration paul says man grow up little church grow up grow up in love Lastly, and in closing, I want you to see a word of what I call inspiration in verses 12 and 13. And here he gives us a word about our future, I believe. He gives us a word about where we're headed and what's coming. Let me ask you this. How many of y'all are glad there's more than this? God, thanks be unto God. I'm glad there's more than this. 
You say, Pastor, you're smiling all the time, and you have, yeah, I'm blessed here, pressed down, heaped up, and overflowing, and I feel guilty some mornings, I'm just honest with you. When I get up, I ask the Lord, how come you've chosen to bless me like you have? I'm glad you have, and I'm not asking you to cut it off. I mean, y'all know, hey, I'm not asking you to stop, but how come, Lord, I feel guilty sometimes that you bless me? He has blessed me with the best life that anybody could ever lead, but beloved, it's going to pale in comparison to what He has planned for me in the future. And here he gives us a word of inspiration, a word about our future. He says one of these days we'll be in a place where there'll be no real need for prophecy anymore. There'll be no real need for the revelatory gifts anymore. There'll be no real need for knowledge and glory. I'm not down in the gifts, beloved. They're active and essential. And man, I believe they're functioning in the church today. But there's coming a day when there'll be no need for them anymore. There'll be a day when we step into the presence of the Lord himself. He says right there, in verse 12, man, we look through a glass darkly. We look in a mirror darkly. In the ancient world, mirrors weren't like they are today. Man, my wife's got a makeup mirror that I shudder to look in. But I, I mean, it'll get right up on your face and you can see all those blemishes and all those pores. I don't want to see myself that clearly, beloved. I'm looking for the ancient world kind of mirror. It's a little blurred and I can kind of put my own interpretation on how I look today. And man, that's the way their mirrors were. They couldn't really see very clearly. They were just metal that they'd done the best to fashion into a looking glass. He said, man, you see that way now. But one of these days, you're going to see as clear as a bell. One of these days, you're going to see not through a, a looking glass in a reflective kind of mired and distorted way. You're going to see face to face love itself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to be there face to face. How many of y'all are glad that's in your future today? Man, I'm looking for the day when I see him face to face. He says, we, I think we understand love even now, but one of these days we're going to walk into the presence of love itself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we'll see face to face. Can you imagine standing face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ? And saying, hey, Lord, I've been waiting to see you a long time. The first thing I want to do is show you how gifted I am. Can you even imagine that? So why do we do it here? Why? Paul said, let me tell you what's coming. It's coming today. You're not going to care about any of this. This is all going to amount to nothing. You won't need all that anymore. You'll be standing in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And your job throughout all eternity will be to love Him with abandon in the way that He has loved you. What a future. We'll be with the Lord. Love's essence. Clear. No distortion. He says we'll also be with love. Verse 13, a summative statement. He echoes chapter 12, verse 31b, where he said, let me show you a more excellent way. And he says in, in verse 13 of chapter 13, hey, let me tell you, these abide together, faith, hope, and love. These abide together, faith, hope, and love. I wrote it down this way. The eternal triune experience of the Christian faith. Hope and love. Those things go together, he says. Those things are united together. But the, but the greatest of these, let me clarify this for you. He says, but don't make any mistake. 
the greatest of these, the most excellent of these, is love. He says you're going to be in the presence of the greatest thing in existence throughout all eternity. And these, my friend, are the excellent, essential, eternal facts of the Christian life. And I believe that the kingdom of heaven is energized and that our life there is supported by the agape love of God. I used to sing a song a lot entitled Glory Land. Talk about heaven. One of my favorite lines in it was this. There we'll live. We'll live on love. Divine. How's your love life? How is it? How are you doing with your family? How are you doing with your friends? How are you doing with your church body? How are you doing with that lost person that you encounter on a daily basis? How are you doing in the way of love? How are you doing in your relationship to your Heavenly Father? Have you made it a stoic and a mechanical thing? Or is it that when the two of you get together... You run and embrace each other, driven by that mutual love, birthed by God Himself between the two of you. How are you doing? Paul says, let me tell you the most excellent thing you can ever do. Learn to love. Endurance is something that's tested over time. And usually we practice something that we want to increase our endurance in. Usually if we want to run further, it takes running a little bit further than we did the day before. And running a little bit further than we did the day before. So if you're here and you'd say, Pastor, man, I don't know how much endurance my love has. I, I did that once back in the old days, but I, I, I just don't be able to, to sustain it every day. Well, let me challenge you. Love more today than you did yesterday. Begin to love a little more today than you did yesterday. And over time, you'll see that your endurance and love increases and increases and increases before very long. You'll find yourself in eternity loving forever and ever and ever. How's your love life? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are. How are you doing? How are you doing at Agape? Before the Lord Himself right now, if you could characterize your life as a Christian and your service to the Lord with one word, what would it be? Ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what it is. What would it be? Let me tell you what I hope that mine is. Love. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.